Good morning, Crosspoint. My name is Kent. I am the youth and college pastor here at Crosspoint, and I welcome you this morning, and I thank you for choosing to worship here today. Now, I want you to stand up. Going to get some blood flowing, because I don't want any of you falling asleep in church today. Um, Turn to the uh, people behind you, next to you, someone that you don't know, and ask them what their favorite thing about the Christmas uh, season this past year was. Commence. Wrap up your conversations. You can have a seat. Now, in the midst of your conversations, especially on this side in the middle, I don't think Joel got to this side yet, but how many were interrupted by Joel looking for Asher? Raise your hand if your conversation got interrupted. He talked to a few people on this side. How'd it make you feel? Was there a little panic, tension of like, Joel, you lost your son? What? Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. It's like, Joel, don't you know where, where your kid is? I don't know about me, but if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I have no idea where my son is. Have you seen him? And it's a large crowd of people. I'd be kind of panicked for his sake. There might be a little tension in the room. And I think that's what people felt while Joseph and Mary were going around their group and asking, hey, have you seen Jesus? People were like, you lost Jesus? How dare you? You don't know where Jesus is? You don't keep track of him? I bet that's what people were feeling. But how did Joseph and Mary end up at this point? How did they end up having to look frantically for Jesus for three days and not knowing where he was? If you have your Bibles with you, please meet me in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now, to set up verse 41, we kind of have to have some context because you're here on Christmas Eve. Dave ended with um, the reception that Jesus got um, after he was born and this passage is right after that, and Jesus is 12. And so there's 12 years between when we talked last in Luke to today. So what happened? Verse 39 gives us some context. Verse 39 says, when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Verse 40, the boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. See, from the the time from his birth to now, Jesus' life is pretty remarkable already. At the age of two, he has to flee his home and go to Egypt for fear of his life. Herod is trying to kill him. And after Herod dies, Joseph and Mary move back to Nazareth. And roughly 10 years later, this is where this story takes place. So we have some kind of context, some setting, and hopefully you understand a picture a little bit better when we start reading verse 41. 
41 says this. Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. Now, there's just a couple things here that I want to paint this picture even further so you kind of get an idea of what this was like. Now, traveling to Nazareth, or from Nazareth to Jerusalem was about 65 miles. In other words, it was about a three days journey of walking. Okay, because of the length of the journey, people usually traveled in caravans or this large group of people because there's people who would attack them. There's robbers along the roadside. You think of the story of the Good Samaritan. He got attacked while being alone. And so these people, uh, usually people travel in these large groups of caravans. Now the second thing that I want you to note to get a little bit better picture of this setting of the story is, is what Jesus is thinking. He's 12 years old, fully God, fully human. He's the son of God. 12 was the age when a Jewish boy would start observing the law. He, he, the phrase coined is he would become a son of the law. Because of this, this is also suggesting that Jesus, this is Jesus' first time in Jerusalem. And I want you to imagine his anticipation with me. Jesus, son of God, first time in Jerusalem, because in that time, people worshiped in the temple. And so in order to worship God, you had to go to the temple. And Jesus, 12 years old, son of God, first time being able to go to the temple and worship and spend time with his father. One commentator puts it as this. As the time for his first visit approached, could one's ear have caught the breathing of his young soul? He might have heard him whispering, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. There's anticipation in Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, this longing to spend time with his father. So Passover happens. Passover is usually eight days. It's roughly week long. So they're there. It happens. And now it's time to go home. And Luke, we don't give much of a storyline of what happens. It, it goes from verse 42. They went up according to the custom of the festival. Verse 43. And after those days were over. So now in this story, the, the Passover, this festival is over. And verse 43 continues. As they were returning the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was in the traveling party with them, they went a day's journey. They began looking for him among the relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. When his parents saw him, they were astounded, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now I want you to understand perspective. There's two different perspectives in this story, and they're colliding right now. You have Mary and Joseph that have gone to this Passover for 12 years without Jesus. They have a routine down. They have a plan. They know how to get there, what's the safest route. They know what's more efficient, effective, 
They know what they're doing. They know how to stay out of danger. And they know when to leave in order to get back to Nazareth safely to work that following week. Now, on the other hand, you have Jesus, the Son of God, who finds it necessary to spend time with his heavenly Father. And frankly, he's not ready to leave. It's like, I've waited 12 years and you only give me a week. I'm not ready to leave yet. On one hand, you have Joseph and Mary who have been searching for Jesus frantically for three days, with their lives in danger by traveling by themselves a day's journey back to Jerusalem. They had to look for Jesus in Jerusalem, which is a city size of 70 to 80,000 people. Think about Bloomington, Illinois. Population-wise, that's about the size of Jerusalem. And they're searching for him frantically. And when they found him, they were probably exhausted. My guess, a little annoyed. So it's totally understandable from their point of view why they would be upset. Needless to say, things were not going according to their plans. Therefore, verse 48 can be seen as totally appropriate for the situation. When they say, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. But then on the other hand, you have Jesus, the Son of God, who's waited 12 years and has spent the entire festival and these last three days of his, uh, his parents searching for him in the temple complex, talking to the rabbis, teachers, and leaders. And Jesus' mindset, this makes complete sense why he's there. It's hard for him to understand, for his parents, not to get it, to not look there first. Hence why his answer in verse 49 says this. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? The story ends with these final verses of Luke 2, starting in verse 50. But they did not understand what he said to them. And then he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and with people. So far in Luke, if you've been here over the last couple weeks and, and studying Luke with us, you've seen a couple situations where Jesus has interrupted the plans that Joseph and Mary have had. Because I can tell you this, it definitely wasn't Mary's plan to get pregnant as a teenager out of wedlock. And it was definitely not Joseph's plan to be a father before he was even married. You'd think after an experience like that, Joseph and Mary would have understood that Jesus, when he says that it's necessary for, for him to be in his father's house, they'd get the picture that God is his father. And of course this makes sense. But yet 12 years after his birth, 12 years of not being really interrupted, Joseph and Mary have seemed to gotten used to their routine with parenting Jesus so much so that they have gotten comfortable with parenting the Son of God. One commentator puts it this way, but the 12 silent, uneventful years of life at Nazareth, the poor home, the village carpentry, the natural development of the sacred child had gradually, 
obscured for Mary and Joseph the memories of the infancy. They had not forgotten them, but time and circumstances had covered them with a veil. And now they were very gently reminded by the boy's own quiet words of what had happened 12 years ago. This isn't the only time we see this in Mary and Joseph's life. You think they would have learned their lesson by now, but we see this cycle happen again 18 years later. In Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 22, this is where Jesus is starting his earthly ministry. And they think that he's gone crazy, and they try to restrain him. Verse 20 says, Jesus entered a house, and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he is out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Beelzebub and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. We see that the cycle happens. Incredible experience with God over a decade in between. You get comfortable. You go through the motions. And then God has to interrupt your life again to get your attention again. It appears if God's thoughts and ways do not always coincide with what we think is the most efficient, most effective, and most financial savvy. Sometimes he interrupts our life to get our attention because we rely on ourselves way too much. And I think if we're honest, I think we can relate to Joseph and Mary more than we would like to admit. Because there's a common thing that you and I share with Joseph and Mary. It's called being fully human. This means that we're born a sinner and what we have is... This fleshly and sinful desires, which just means that we have a default setting to serve ourselves as opposed to serving God and serving others. And if it wasn't for Jesus interrupting our lives, we would just turn inward and we would slowly destroy ourselves because that's what sin does to a person. Sin destroys life as opposed to Jesus who gives life. So I asked the question this morning, Are you willing to let Jesus interrupt your life? Are you willing to let go of your plans? Let life not go according to your plans, but rather according to God's plan for your life. Now here's a follow-up question. Have you let Jesus interrupt your life in such a way that he is Lord of your life? Now this is way more than just saying a prayer so you can save yourself from a line of people going to hell so you can jump into the line of people going to heaven. I'm asking that when you truly let Jesus take control of your life, do you seek his wisdom when making decisions? Do you obey his commandments? Do you listen to his word? Do you have a personal, intimate relationship with him? Does your entire life revolve around Worshiping who Jesus is as Lord of your life. If you have not let Jesus interrupt your plans for your life in this way, I ask you to humble yourself today. 
Come to the foot of the cross in repentance and ask God to forgive you for your sins against him. Remove yourself from the throne of your life and put Jesus as the Lord of your life. Stop living for yourself. Start living for the one who controls all things and should be in control of your life. Now, if you can call Jesus your Lord and Savior of your life, and you are a follower of Jesus, I ask you this. Are you in cruise control in your relationship with Jesus today? Like Joseph and Mary, you've had a life-changing experience. It rocked you so hard, it had to drive you to the cross. But now after many years, you find yourself going through the motions of life, completing a daily task, checking off boxes, waking up, go about your day and going to sleep, and you're just being routine. Nothing special is happening. I don't know what your interruption is. Maybe you had lost your job and God interrupted your plans and got a hold of your attention for a moment. You became dependent on God for a season, but in, in, in this season of life, but now you've found a new job and you're slowly gone back to being independent and self-reliant. Maybe you've lost a family member for a, a while ago and for a time you ran to God for comfort but after a while, you started finding comfort in other things. And now you feel like you're in a spiritual rut. Maybe you found yourself in a financial crisis, dependent on God for your daily provision, but now, now you're financially stable, and over time your personal devotion with the Lord has slowly decreased to nothing. Whatever your interruption with God is, however God had to catch your attention, I ask you this, does God still have your full attention today? Or have you let things in life distract you? Veil your eyes from how wondrous Christ is. If God doesn't have your full attention today, You need to repent now, today, for being spiritually lazy in your relationship with Jesus. What is more important than investing in the Lord and Savior of your life, the creator of the universe? Tell me one thing. I haven't found anything yet. Because I hope you see your relationship with Jesus is just like any other relationship you have. In order for it to grow deeper, you must spend time. You must talk, and you must learn about the other person. Your relationship with Jesus is the same way. You have to have daily time when you go on a spiritual date with Jesus, I like to call it. Learn about him by reading his word. Being open and honest when I talk to him, when praying to him. Tell him how I really feel. Are you being spiritually lazy today in this season of life in your relationship with Jesus? In a minute, we're going to have a time of reflection. 
Some music will be playing in the background, and I want you to take some time to get real with God. I want you to reflect and ask God to expose the areas of sin in your life. The areas of laziness, spiritual, spiritual laziness in your relationship with Him. Ultimately, I want you to ask yourself the question, am I willing to let my life not going, not according to my plan, but rather according to God's plan. I want you to look back. I want you to see where you failed, where you messed up. I want you to see God's grace in those moments. As 2019 wraps up, I hope your 2020 is better. I hope in 2020 you grow deeper with your relationship with Jesus. As we're about to start this new year, I pray, I pray that you will fall more in love with Jesus every single day. Not just in 2020, but in the years moving forward. I just want to pray. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for this time, this moment that we get to gather, that we get to learn more about you, God, that we get to worship you, that we get to see more of how you love us, how your mercy and grace are never failing, God, that you're always true, that you're always there. God, even when we get distracted, even when we go astray, God, you're always there and you're bringing us right back to you. God, I just pray that each of us here in this room, including myself, that we just go out here different. God, that you would keep us close. God, that we would grow deeper in our relationship with you. God, we love you. God, we serve you with wholeheartedness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.